Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Good morning, church. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Amen. Well, um, my name is Yevgeny Sologubenko. If some of you wondered how do you pronounce my name, I am from Moldova, and uh, it is my honor to come and share with you today what the Lord is doing through our partnership together in Eastern Europe and specifically uh, these days uh, in Ukraine and Moldova. I want to thank Pastor Logan. I want to thank the leadership team, uh, definitely the worship team, and uh, you know, they, they've done an awesome job in the special music. I was just blown away. I'm, I'm blessed. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So a little disclaimer. Uh, I would like to share with you my human experience. Uh, this is not about politics. But this is about uh, someone, uh, those of you who know me, I'm Jewish. Uh, I came to know the Lord out of a gang culture. So... Some of you may not know that I'm also one-quarter Ukrainian. So being a pastor, being the seminary president, being a professor for the seminary students, and uh, just also being someone who is leading a church planting movement in the country of Moldova, I want to share with you in the beginning about one day. It was one day in the beginning of March, about a year ago, the day when I also got a new title. I became a smuggler. I want to share with you about this little van. A little while ago, when Russians came into Ukraine, there were hundreds of thousands of people flowing into the country of Moldova. We are the main choke point where people are traveling from eastern and southern Ukraine. Moldova has become a transit country with over 500,000 Ukrainians crossing our border, getting inside the country. Plus, uh, there were countless, many, many more people who are not Ukrainian who lived in Ukraine. And so one of the things that we found as the Moldovan church is that we were challenged to help these flows of people trying to find safety. People would stand in line at the border for up to 36 hours trying to get into the country. People would walk close to 20 miles to actually enter the country standing in huge lines. Well, one of the days that was about day nine or ten into the situation, I've been asked by a parliament member. He just happens to be a neighbor of mine, so he called me up and uh, uh, basically asked me if I, through our church network, can help him do a special delivery. The delivery was supposed to be happening from Moldova inside Ukraine. And the situation was that as the politician, he was limited with what he could do and what the way things would appear. But he knew as the church, we had very quickly, literally within 24 hours, set, set up a railroad, pretty much an underground railroad of getting people inside from, from Ukraine, from the border, through Moldova, setting them up with food, setting them up with places to stay, helping with transportation, getting them into safety in uh, other countries of Europe. So he was asking me if I can help him with a favor. See, there was a group of kids across Ukraine who have a special syndrome. It's a syndrome where they cannot digest any proteins. 
And inside Moldova, the, you know, we're a small country, there is uh, so, so few of these kids that Moldova buys this food in bulk and it usually lasts them for about a year. Well, Ukraine is very large, 44 million people that used to live there before the events began to unfold, and they only bought food two weeks at a time. So they found that they are running out of food, and you understand that everything has protein. They have to have the specialty food. Even if you give them certain vegetables, they also have proteins. So he asked me if I would do him a favor by delivering a shipment of about 600 pounds of this food that they had in storage in Moldova to the Moldova border, take it into Ukraine, and try to deliver it to the smaller towns and to the cities where they were scarce. So it's a kind of interesting that that morning I woke up and I traveled to the church. We were sharing supplies. We were setting up still a lot of the refugee centers. So my day started with loading about 20 mattresses because when the driver came to pick up the mattresses from another church, he had a bad back. So I ended up carrying 20 mattresses and loading his van. Then I went on and picked up our van and I became the driver. I drove up to the medical center that had the storage of the food. And together with the parliament member, we actually loaded up and he was not very sure. He said oh, close to 600 pounds. It ended, actually ended up being about 2,000 pounds. We filled up the van and there I go. I got into the van, I started driving. I stopped by a big grocery store where a partner, a pastor friend of mine that were helping him plant a church, asked me if um, you know, we need to deliver uh, tea, hot water, uh, I mean, uh, hot, hot soups, uh, you know, all, all kinds of snacks to the border for the volunteers that are serving the people waiting in line for so long. And it's still, you can imagine, still end of February, beginning of, beginning of March. It's still very cold. Those of you who have seen me on Facebook, it could still snow coming in two weeks into March. So it was very cold and windy, just like a couple days ago over here. And so as we bought stuff, I became a proficient shopper. Then as we drove for two and a half hours to the border, I became a counselor talking to this pastor because he's struggling with his family life. Next thing I know, I get pulled over right as we're supposed to turn to the last turn about 10 miles away from the border. A police officer pulls me over. And I'm thinking, oh no, I'm gonna have to start pulling the strings, calling the people. And the police officer comes up and says, I need your help. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, I thought that I was gonna have you pay, I, I would, I would have, have to pay the bribe. Well, he says, I've got this grandmother and a granddaughter. They wanna go back into Ukraine. They don't have any transportation. Everybody's going away from the border. They wanna go in. I was like, well, I'm overloaded. He goes, I don't care. I just, you know, they're freezing here. So my buddy climbs up on top of the food. Uh, the the grand, grandmother and her and granddaughter sit in the front seat of this van and we're driving to the border. That was the day or the time when I became jealous of the Ukrainian people. Because I asked their grandmother, aren't you afraid? The Russian fleet is still stationed near Odessa. They're about to do the landing. They're about to take the city. Why are you going back to Odessa? And that's the day I, I became jealous of the Ukrainians because she said, you know what? It's my hometown. Where else would I go? I've been here for about three weeks, four weeks now. It's more peaceful at home. With bombs flying? She says, I'll just go cook for the, kid, for, 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 for the territorial guard. My granddaughter is going to help me. So I, as I took her to the border, she got out, went on the bus. But I am loaded with stuff. The border guards started giving me a hard time. They didn't want us to even allow us to, into the border station. Well, long story short, it was 30 minutes. And past 30 minutes, I almost called the parliament to tell them I cannot do it. When suddenly, the doors open up. And as the crowd of people is heading into Moldova, I'm driving this van through the crowd with the blinkers on, with border guards sort of like looking at me like, what are these guys doing? We're driving on the other side. And we unloaded the food, and we've actually seen the Lord 
do wonderful things, we were able to deliver that food to those kids. But that's the day when I became a smuggler. <laughs> you can add that to my CV, to my resume. You see, the Church of Jesus Christ has, has been the biggest, the greatest response to this crisis. When the government didn't know what to do, when they were limited with the resources, you have contributed immediately. You were praying for us. We didn't have to ask for a single penny. When we met on February 24th with a network of church planters, we, were, we met actually to discuss how we're gonna plant new churches. It's just that some of us woke up at the outskirts of the city hearing the explosions in Odessa coming all the way from 100 miles away. And we knew that something has changed. And as the lunch happened, and you know, we felt very weird, we giggled, we make jokes, but you know how you have this nervous situation when the only thing you can do is try to make a joke that nobody laughs at? From that day, we were able to set up checkpoints at the Ukrainian side. They allowed us to set up an orange tent. If you have friends who traveled through Ukraine, out of Ukraine through Moldova, ask them about the orange tent on the right. It's actually still there. We've been able to help people, and our biggest challenge, you know, our ministry, we are concerned about human trafficking. We want to prevent human trafficking, as Moldova has been the source country for the traffickers. So what we found out is that many of these people become victims. These are women and children crossing into the border by hundreds of thousands, uncontrolled. So we started by setting up the checkpoints on the Ukrainian side, on the Moldova side. We got the drivers, churches got together. We, we created a, a telegram group where the drivers would rotate. The minivans started coming to the border and taking people to the Christian centers. Churches were converted into the refugee centers. People would cook, ladies would come in and provide groceries. We actually started connecting with other organizations that helped deliver people all the way to the refugee centers across Europe so that there's not a point where the human traffickers can even have a conversation with these people. Everything was really worked out and it took the entire church of Jesus Christ. There was no denominations. There was no, you know, are you Armenian or Calvinist? <laughs> Nobody cared. The values changed. It was one church doing one job with one passion to take the gospel to these people. Now, people ask me, how are you doing? I mean, some of you texted me, asked Eugene, how are you doing? And I told you, I refused to answer. You see, I was afraid of what was inside. To this day, I still am a little bit of afraid of what it was inside. Again, I'm not political. I'm just telling you my human experience of seeing human suffering, thousands of people coming through the border, seeing the pain, seeing the tears, seeing the devastation, days in people's eyes. You know, I cried. You know, we, we, man, right? You cried when you were 18 or before you were 18. I cried, last time I cried was when my poppy love girlfriend at the age of 17 didn't respond to my affections. And that was a 45 year old man standing in the middle of this human crisis. As I saw a lady walk off the bus, dressed up nice, with a nice suitcase, and as she's walking out of this bus after about two and a half hours already in Moldova, she's rolling this bag. She goes to this human end farm and she's wailing, crying because she doesn't know where she's going. The only thing that she's got is the clothes on her back and a little bit of, she has her documents in her little bag that she's rolling 
and she's just crying. And that was the day when I cried again. I got angry. Some of you know I came out of the gang culture, so I knew a lot of swear words. At the age of being a 29-year-old believer, I thought I forgot all of them. I haven't thought of them. I haven't said them. But in the first seven days of the war, I remembered all of them. I said some of them. I was scared of what was inside. But you know, one of the things that came to my mind is the picture. It was the picture of a man pushing on the plow as the horse is pulling the plow. And the passage that came to my mind is Luke 9.62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, the scriptures that was put in my heart, they started working. Now, I understand this is maybe taken out of context, and so please don't misunderstand me if you're a theologian. I believe in literal grammatical hermeneutics. I believe in proper interpretation, one, you know, one interpretation, many applications. But the Word of God that was placed in my heart started working. I remembered that the only way I can stay sane is help that lady walking off that bus, is help that child who needs medical attention because he's throwing up after this bus ride, is help this guy who's trying to console his wife and the kids are running around, is provide the mattresses, load, go, drive, do whatever it takes. Just do the task at hand that is in front of you. And it made sense in my life that the Word of God started working. Now, I have to make a confession, and this is the first time I'm making this confession in the public my wife asked me, How, are you, what are you reading in the Word of God? Now, I'm preparing sermons, so I am studying the Word of God. But I can tell you, 2022 was not the year when I read the Bible. Now, I read the Scriptures. But you know how, as a pastor, I have this goal to read the Bible throughout the year, in different translations, every year. 2022, if you look at my Goodreads, you don't, you're not going to see the Bible has been read. Because for the first several months, I wasn't taking in the Word of God. But I was having the Word of God work inside of me. Let me show you this photo. This is a real photo of a lady from Lugansk. This lady was walking down the road in the first few days of war. And she was headed to church in the Lugansk area. When a shell came in and exploded but six feet away from her. And she was holding her bag with a Bible. Actually in this hand. Because as, shell ex as, 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 the, as the bomb exploded, the shell, a piece of shrapnel came through the bag into the Bible and right toward her heart. And because of the Bible, the doctor said the shrapnel was slowed down and it's set two inches from her heart. Her life was changed. It was saved. This was a woman who is a fellow sister in Christ. This is actually her photo. You may have seen this photo in some Christian magazine. This photo came as she shared that testimony for the first time in a small church in the small town of Uman with Pastor Pavel that we've been working with. And he sent me this photo and told me about this lady. I've later seen it in some larger publications. This is an image I want you to keep in your mind. The Word of God, this is, a figure, this is obviously figurative, but the Word of God is going to protect you and your heart from the evils of the world as they will come toward your life and they will hurt you. It may take even doctors to fix you, but the Word of God will protect you and will protect your heart figuratively and sometimes physically. The secret of staying sane in the midst of this crisis was to do the task in ha at hand. So this lady is a great metaphor 
of, to see of what God is calling us to do. You see, we as Christians, the way we are saved is we're called to believe. We're called to believe always and everywhere, right? Our circumstances may appear hopeless. There may be war around us, but we also have to remember we are citizens of heaven. But this world, the evil world, world, it will come at us and we have to believe God even in the impossible situations. Here is an example of our example, I guess, of the, the, the father of faith. Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope. You see, they say that the hope is the last one to go, but truly, the most important is faith, because in hope he believed against hope that he should come the father of many, become father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. I mean, he thought, I'm dead. My wife is not doing too well, which was as good as dead since it was, he was about 100 years old. When he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, it's interesting, says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. You see, when you see this devastation and you see the world coming at you, one of the greatest things is the word of God. And even though we are in the middle of the war and we see the devastation that the war brings, the Word of God becomes alive. That Word of God that I studied as a kid, that Word of God as I studied as a teenager, that I studied in the seminary, those Bible readings that I did, you know, when the crisis comes, there's no time to read the Word of God. It's that Word of God that's been placed in your heart that is going to begin working. Where is God in the midst of this evil? Where is God? You know, that's, that's the biggest question. When you are in the crisis, where is God? Well, let me share with you another story. This story came right when I needed some encouragement because when you are plowing, you're not seeing the fruit, right? When you are pushing on that plow, you're not seeing the sunflowers bloom, the wheat rich. You're not seeing the bread, the flour, you're not smelling the beautiful bakery stuff. You're just plowing the land. You don't even know whether it's going to bring anything or not. It's really hard. And what we've been actually been able to do is, through our partnership in Mikolaev, which is a little bit further than Odessa, this girl came to us through a Young Life partnership, and they asked, can you give us $3,000? We need to buy this baby food, baby formula. It's like gluten-free and some special. We looked at it and it was like, $3,000 for baby food? Okay. So we looked at it, it looked legit. We made the purchase. I took these photos. We sent it off in their private vehicles. And it was a day later that she sent me this message. And she said, Pastor, you wouldn't believe what just happened. She says, I'm just blown away. She said, as the war began and Mariupol was sieged, between Mariupol and Mykolaiv, they're a small town. And as the bombs started flying, the women at a birthing, birthing center were all put into the basement to, as a shelter. They sat there for close to two weeks. But because of the stress, the ladies lost milk. Only one lady still had milk. And she ended up for two weeks feeding 16 kids. 
And as they were being evacuated, that food actually ended up being brought there for these malnourished kids. And so when I was hearing this story, this passage, I mean, you, you, you can probably guess the passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, that you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And the scriptures came alive. Now, I probably couldn't quote it to you then, but you can tell as I looked at it. Now, I didn't cry, but I choked up, knowing that God took care of these little ones. It's really not about politics. It's really not about who's right and wrong. It's about what is Jesus Christ through his body doing around the world when the true crisis arises. And I want to thank you for the, your contributions and your prayers and your encouragement that made this possible. We have been doing this together and we've seen God truly at work. God will supply your every need. In Philippians 4.19, he will supply your every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. We had a convoy that went to Bucha. We, we decided we're going to take the vehicles to Ukraine. Odessa, uh, Kiev was still front line. One of our guys, Valery, he goes, I feel we need to send a convoy of food into Ukraine. See, we worked at the border. He goes, I negotiated with the border guards. They know us now. Well, they will let 11 vehicles through. We got the church vehicles, took out the seats, loaded out with food, and somewhere in the convoy. The convoy came back. We're very happy that all of our guys were safe. They went around Kiev. They were told, you go here, you go there. We didn't know where to go. They knew they had one road that they could take. And as they returned back three days later, before you heard of the name Bucha, it never made the news at that time, but it started ringing in our ears. Near Kiev in Derpen, there was a big ministry center that was ran by Mission Eurasia. We started hearing that as the Russians pulled out, the ministry center was destroyed. For two weeks, they were burning Bibles down. And they eventually bombed the building, so the ministry is no longer there. They're relocating into Kishinev. And this is the first hand. These are people I know. But it's interesting that he says, Pastor, you wouldn't believe. You heard of that name, Bucha? So one of our vehicles actually came into Bucha to deliver food as it was deoccupied, like hours prior. We didn't plan that. But we knew God is providing for his people. It was just a connection through the church. And they said, you can take the food there now. And God has been working. Now, some of you took evangelism classes. Young people, I'm sure your pastor has trained you and said, okay, you need to share the gospel, and you got two minutes. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience? I mean, I've, I've had that, uh, you have one minute, you know, 60 seconds, share the gospel. I thought that was one of the stupidest things the professors in the seminaries have done, and then I became a seminary professor and started teaching my students that. Because that's what you do and how you make the students' lives hard. But you know the funny thing? One of the first buses, uh, this mission Eurasia, they built these food bags. I had about 150 of these bags in the back of my SUV. 
as I drove up to the biggest refugee center in the city of Kishinev, called set up at Mold Expo, we talked to the leadership and they said, oh yeah, you can give us this food, we can distribute it to people. As I'm opening the back of my car and I'm picking up the, the two bags, I have a very strange guy running up to me. This, this guy is the guy in the orange vest. His name is Herman. He's Austrian, he speaks very funny English, and he goes, what is this you have here? I'm like, well, that's food. Is this for people? Yeah. Give people on the bus. Okay, I'm looking, there's two buses set up. So long story short, it's an organization that is not a Christian organization. Herman has been a altar boy for like, you know, a dozen years. And about 20 years ago, he said he decided there is no God. But he said, we need to feed these people. So we found out these buses will take people all the way to Karlsruhe, Germany, which is about a 48-hour bus ride from Kishinev to Karlsruhe. But the organization, they can only provide for the bus and one meal for 48 hours. So he said, give these people some food so they can eat on the way. That was a perfect bag. So I gave people on the bus. It's a double-decker. And I'm thinking, you know, what's the, I mean, I just, you know, I want to say something. So I kind of started screaming to people, like in the bus, I'm standing, I'm, I'm probably the people on the second floor hadn't heard anything. And I'm like, you know, Jesus loves you, please, you know, you know, we're praying for you. And I very quickly prayed, I walked off the bus, and I go to the second bus. And so Herman says, can you make more food? Yeah, we can make more food. So he says, I have another bus tomorrow. So long story short, we show up for the second bus, for the third bus the next day. Well, long, interestingly, I gave out the food and I felt really guilty. I felt like, well, you know, they're not going to hear me. Why did I try to pray? So I just, I'm just beginning to walk off. Herman runs up to me and grabs me and says, stop. Did you do your prayer? I'm like, no. He says, come back. He gets me on the bus, pulls out this mic with a wire just, you know, dangling, dangling there. Gives me the mic and says, do your prayer and walks off. And that's when I'm realizing, you know, I've been teaching people to pray and share, I mean, I've been teaching people to share the gospel in 60 seconds. There's my shining moment. Teacher, do this. And we've been able to do this over the last year. We sent over 10,000 people with this organization and help provide food for them as they were traveling to Karlsruhe. Of course, we started putting a little bit of a, uh, we put a, uh, uh, Gospel of John, we give them about 4,000 calories of food, some baby food, some water, some juices, just to help carry them over. God is working. God is working. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And that's our famous verse. But in your, heart, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. For a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We are blessed. We are given the biggest gift. The gospel. The good news. Are we prepared to share this good news? Now, I, 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 I honestly want to tell you more stories. But... I look at the screen in front of me and it's counting down time and the time is counting down really quickly. I want to be able to share more stories and the way I do it these days is obviously through the gift of smartphones, Facebook and email. So if you have a smartphone or a cell phone, I want you to pull it out right now. 
pull out your smartphone or, or your cell phone. If, if, if you want to receive updates from our ministry, I want, what I want you to do is I'm sharing, send me a text message. Now, my phone is on silence, so it's not going to start lighting up. Send me your name and your email address or your Facebook handle, and I will add you to our mailing list, and this way you can continue to stay up to date with what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing in Moldova. But the thing is that the beautiful thing that we're seeing is that as months started rolling, you know, the first few months, two months, everybody showed up. United Nations, UNICEF, you had Red Cross, everybody was there. It was a crisis. But you know what happened? A month passed, some of them left. Two months passed, some more of them left. Three months passed, most of them left. Six months later, Christians are the only ones that remain. At the border, at the train station, we still are running the refugee centers. We're still feeding people. And the way we're trying to do this through a meaningful way where we're engaging the people every single week. Just an example of one church. If you remember, there was this Herman guy. So this Herman guy next to a gentleman named Rustam. Rustam is one of our seminary students. You know I'm a seminary president. Some of you support seminary students. Somebody's probably here supporting Rustam. He's a second year student who started planting a church about 35, 40 minutes away in the north. In fact, there's a team coming to help Rustam. An interesting uh, fact. For a year of planting a church, he was able to preach the gospel to a couple dozen people. He had about five conversions and not a single baptism. Since the war began, he started reaching out to the Ukrainians who came to the town of Orhei. He's got a room that can sit about 40 people. And he's got about 70 to 80 people every single Sunday for the worship. 70% of them are Ukrainians. Who are not, this is their first engagement with the gospel. And we're trying to reach more of them. We've got 250 families in the town of Orhei with kids, with women. There's even a men's ministry now. And we need some of you to come and help us in the summer serve these people. A little bit more about that in just a second. I want to go get back to the idea of the Word of God. I have given them your Word. The Word, the world, has hated them because they're not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You know, I wish Jesus came today and we were all up in heaven. I wish that I was not in this world and I was not seeing that devastation that the wars can bring. The war was something that happens there. It's not here. It doesn't bother me. It's something on the TV screen. It's something on the internet article. Until it's at your doorstep. And that group of people, those hundreds of thousands of people coming through your country, you realize it's a wave that can sweep us and we may be joining them and going into Europe. But it is the Word of God that has that ability. It has the ability to change lives. Interestingly, sanctify them with truth. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. It's amazing. It's amazing. The question is, and I know that the question that many of you had, what, what, what can I do? I mean, obviously, 
you prayed for us, and some of you have been praying for us very heavily, and you've been supporting us financially. But here are some practical things I want to share with you in the last couple of minutes. First of all, I would like you to think that first thing you need to do is reevaluate how you look at life. Look at the things that you have. Look at the time that you have, the people that you know, the resources that you have. And one thing that I will tell you, you know, you, you hear a lot in America over the last year, the cost of living. The cost of living has gone up. Everybody talks about economy. But I need you to understand something that we understood. Well, I would like for you to, to understand that. The cost of living doesn't matter when the cost of life is at stake. You know, you're not really thinking, are you going to spend $2 for gasoline or $3 for gasoline? Are you going to spend $50 or $500 for a hotel room to save somebody's life? You do what it takes. So think in the eternal. Think in the larger things. We are not of this world. But it is God's word that is truth. And that is what's going to be guiding us through this turmoil. And hopefully it doesn't come our way. But if you've read the Bible, it could come your way sooner than, than, than you think. Refocus on what you can give rather than what you can get. See what you have and make it sure you can use it. Truly I say to you, in Mark 25, 31, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these least of these, my brothers, you did this to me. I want to ask you three questions. Are you allowing the Word of God to shape your life today? I didn't have time to read the Bible when the crisis came. It was the Word of God that was placed into my heart in the times of peace that started to work in my heart. Are you allowing the Word of God to shape your life today? Are you laying the foundation in your heart and in your mind? And in James 1.27, it says that the religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Are you keeping yourself unstained from the world? Is your religion pure? One of the most impactful passages in my life, and this is the last passage today, is Mark 10.45, even the son of man, man came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the ransom for many. What can you do? You can continue to pray. You can continue to give. But today I'm here to tell you the biggest challenge that we have is the human resource. Our teams, we are down to our last strength. We need you to come and help us serve. We're, we have two teams coming out of First Baptist in the summer. One to help kids in a camp and one to go and work with the refugees in the town of Jorge where there's already 70, 80 people who are coming to church every Sunday and somebody needs to come and help do vacation Bible school for them, be able to deliver some food. We'll got to have you join the teams. If you want to join the team, I want to talk to you today at 5 o'clock. I'm going to look up. I was told there's actually a room number that you can come and get some food. But there's actually going to be, I can't find the number of the room. 
But if you show up here, we'll, we'll stop by and pick you up in, in front of the lobby. If you want to find out about the trip to Moldova, you might just a little bit think, well, I want to come. Please come today at 5. Talk to us. And pray about what God would have you do with what you have. And I want to thank you again, First Baptist, family of First Baptist, for being our true family in Christ. As we are looking to the coming of our Lord in Christ, Jesus Christ, we are doing this together. And I want to thank you for standing in the gap with us. Would you let me pray for you, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters and for this church. I thank you for Pastor Logan, for the leadership team, for the missions team, for the people that have been praying faithfully, sending us text messages and emails, contributing financially, and those who are willing to stand up and go and serve. Lord, I ask you for each and every person here who doesn't even know you today. They are hearing this and they're wondering, what is this faith that Abraham, Abraham had? that carries him over against all hope. He had that very strange hope. It's the faith in you, Lord, the one who is able. Lord, we ask you, and I ask you right now, please move in every heart. May your life continue to flow through them. And as we are standing in these last days as the church, may you be glorified. Soli Deo Gloria. May all the glory be to you, Jesus. Lord, we pray this in the name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.